1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Fervin, and today we are joined by one of golf's great travelers. And while we may hear some stories, the biggest story will be his own literally from the basement all the way to becoming one of Leisure Golf's biggest personalities. It is a sincere pleasure to welcome Matt Janela to The Range. Matt, thanks for joining us. I, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Now We always start here on The Range by finding out way back, when did golf enter into your world? You know, I, I go with, um, it, it, you know, in terms of
0: the first time I, you know, the first time I remember going to play a round of golf was uh, I had to be about, eight or nine years old, um, and grew up in Northern California, small little, uh, neighborhood. Uh, no one that I knew of played golf. You know, we, it was football, baseball, basketball, soccer, you know, we're talking, you know, eight or nine years old. So, um, all kinds of sports. And then a neighbor of mine, kid named Matt Cohen, I was over at his house when his dad said, all right, Matt, we're going to play golf. Matt, do you want to come join us? So um, I joined Matt and his dad, Al Cohen, and we went to the Sonoma County Fairgrounds. They had a little nine-hole routing in the middle of the racetrack. Um, It's there to this day, and uh, you know nothing to speak of other than there were nine tees, nine greens, a couple little you know ponds, and uh, I just remember feeling like, uh, how do you do this? And I got a little instruction from Al Cohen, and essentially he gave me a nine iron. And a ball and tee and said, you know, tee it up wherever you want. And uh, he gave me my first little tips. And, you know, I remember that round and remember thinking, wow, I get to tee it up anywhere. I, I can put it on this tee because obviously that allowed, allowed for me to get the ball airborne. And I was hooked. I, I remember that day and that round and having fun. And then from there, I think my Uncle Tony took it took it from there. And my Uncle Tony was a scratch golfer when he was 18, grew up in the Sacramento area, Played very high, high competitive golf, but at that time, pros weren't making much money. So he chose, uh, you know, work life, but stayed really competitive. And he was the guy who really put a club in my hands, taught me the grip. And sort of taught me the nuanced aspect of the game, you know, all the all the nuances of the game.
1: Now, you grew up in Northern California like I did, and the PGA Tour wasn't really a presence. I mean, you had Scott Simpson winning the U.S. Open at Olympic, and otherwise it was essentially what went on at Pebble Beach, and that's a world away. So, So how is it that you knew that you wanted to be around golf as a profession when it really wasn't in front of you?
0: I remember going over to Silverado. So in Sonoma County, I remember, I remember as a kid going over to Silverado and getting an autograph from Arnold Palmer. He, he had played that round over there. My dad took me over there. Uh, there was a lot of guys, you know, I remember, you know, Chichi Rodriguez and Lee Trevino. I remember seeing guys that I, you know, know, know to this day and Getting an autograph of Arnold Palmer, and I thought that was pretty cool. I went mm-hmm. to the Olympic Club for that U.S. Open. Uh, Scott Simpson, I remember. Uh, I remember that. So I mean, I there was enough, you know, Northern California, and then again, my uncle and all that was happening. I, my dad was a fan of Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer. I remember watching golf on TV? So I. Uh, I grew up as soon as I was old enough, I started working at golf courses. There was a golf course down the street. I I, I just think it was uh, golf is all, you know, I can't remember, you know, from that point forward of going to with, with Matt Cohen and, and he was a really top level junior golfer very quickly through him and through my uncle and through my dad and through these little moments in which I, you know, I, again, these, these are the things I remember. Um, I I think, you know, Tom Watson was a big deal in Northern California. I I don't know. It it, it just, it made its way into my life and the bloodstream and to, to, you know, once it hits your soul, it, you know, as you know, it's, it, it doesn't leave you,
1: you know? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you played golf at St. Mary's, yeah. but it was your overall love of sport that really opened the door to your career because you were excited just to be. Around sports, and that led to a job covering football.
0: Yes, for me, my goal was always to get paid to follow sports. It, it wasn't, you know, I, I just felt like, wait a minute, if there's a way, you know, if if when you're young and you're trying to figure out a career and and sort of that whole you know concept of of a professional life. For me, I wanted to be the play-by-play announcer for the San Diego Padres. At an early age, I would, <laughs> you know, fake. Uh, I would tape fake baseball games and announce games into this recorder so that my dad you know could pick him up in the morning while he was commuting to San Francisco and listen to these mock games um, so I had this love of sports um, I you know I did play high school golf my senior year because I had ridden a horse I kind of did all kinds of sports and uh, it wasn't until senior in high school that I really started competing at golf and then got to play. Uh, at St. Mary's simply because pre tiger woods at that time, division one golf was nothing like it is now. Um, they were looking for bodies. I mean, they needed people to, you know, swing the club and field a team. You know, we, we were in the West coast conference, Santa Clara, Pepperdine, you know, uh, USF St. Mary, you know, USD, some really good schools that you would think would have good golf programs, but they really didn't. And, um, and maybe they would have one or two good players, but, um, so to play golf at St. Mary's meant that, you know, I could break 80 really. I mean, you know, that's how, that's how different, mm-hmm. you know, now you've got to be breaking 70 on a regular basis to play division one golf. Uh, that was, that wasn't happening on our team except for one player. So, uh, you know, and meanwhile I was doing the radio broadcasting for the football team for the basketball team at St. Mary's. I, I really, you know, golf was, was, uh, was an activity was, was a sport and, it, I, you know, I got the job at Sports Illustrated because I loved sports, not because I loved golf or new golf. Eventually, uh, the, the knowledge of the game ended up helping me get to where I, where I wanted to go. But I didn't know it at
1: the time. Your bio is not too dissimilar from mine that you finished college and then you said, no, I'm still going to go and do an internship to do the career that I want to do.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, internships back then Where normally like you try to get internships while, you know, while you're in college. Now, back then, you sort of went to you went to college and then you would you try to get internships, I guess. I guess would be one way of of looking at a difference between uh, then and now. And um, the internship at Sports Illustrated. Um, was a situation where they probably normally gave it to people who were in school. I actually had to enroll in college, uh, uh, enroll in a, a sort of postgraduate college program in order to qualify for the internship for sports illustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, it, it was, it, it was a different time, you know, um, and, and I had moved to New York city. I was going to try to apply to a job at ESPN and, um, And so I graduated in May of 95. In in September of 95, I was going to try to get a job at ESPN as a production assistant. And there was this gap time in September in which my parents moved to New York. I helped them move to New York and called Sports Illustrated and said, hey, I've been carrying cameras for your photographers at 49er games in college, you know, on the side for seven. You know, if you need anybody to carry cameras, I'm out here in the Northeast, you know, I'm, I'm available. And they said, why don't you come on in? Uh, we, all, you know, uh, come meet the photo department, you know, this and that. That trip of going into Sports Illustrated ultimately led to the internship that I got in the communications program, which led to the job in the photo department, which led to the job as the golf photo editor at Sports Illustrated. So it was timing and um, happenstance and, and being in the right place at the right, you know, all of that equals opportunity like an internship at sports illustrated non-paid mind you you know
1: (laughs) they weren't paying
0: but uh, it was worth it was worth it was worth whatever you know you can't put a price on it really
1: we have lots of people talking about you know their business careers here on the show and really i mean it was timing and, and maybe some luck but also a lot of hard work that really got you noticed
0: well you know uh, you know of co- of course if you look back at the moments in which that, that that are game changers career changers that happen um it's someone you met someone willing to take a chance on you uh being in the right place at the right time uh, uh put, putting in the work making one more phone call sending one last email you know like one la- it it takes all of that to get the break that you need or the breaks that you need. I mean, it's, it's funny, but, um, but at the end of the day, even if you get the break and don't put in the hard work, it could, you could, you could let that opportunity go by. My dad, um, you know, worked his ass off his whole career. My mom was an incredibly hardworking woman, a pioneer of, you know, of, of, of her industry becoming an interior decorator back when it really wasn't happening. she, so my parents are like, and my grandparents. You know, all we have is what we know, right? I mean, you, you know, my mm-hmm. parents raised me to be hardworking. Uh, I know I don't know any different. Um, and you know, that's a tool you have to have if you're going to be successful. There's no, there's nobody who's wildly successful who looks back and goes, you know, the key to my success was not being a hard worker. You know, that's never, <laughs> that never, that never happens. So the toolbox that we hope to, you know give to our kids is a work ethic, first and foremost. Thankfully, my parents gave me that.
1: You talk about timing and you'd become photo editor with uh, Sports Illustrated right when Tiger Woods was making his debut. In fact, it was kind of a happenstance of some events with Tiger that really got people's attention towards you in the world of golf.
0: Tiger Woods has impacted so many careers uh, in the world of sports and journalism. Um, he certainly has impacted mine, um, in 1996 at the Milwaukee open, he made his debut as a pro. That was my first week as the golf photo editor, sports illustrated. So the guy who can place him as the golf photo editor, sports illustrated, which essentially means you, you're the guy in charge of matching the images that are shot by the photographers with the articles that are written by the writers. So you you bridge the gap between what the written word is and what you're visually looking at. You set up and produce the portraits, hire the photographers, edit the images. That's what a photo editor essentially does. And um, so to start my week as the Sports Illustrated photo editor, the same week Tiger Woods turned pro, as you can imagine. That, you know, the interest level in the game of golf from that point forward, you can put a stake in the ground right there in 96 Milwaukee Open. And then the, that rise of interest and eyeballs on the game of golf, I'm riding that wave, much like a lot of people of my generation did at that time in the mid-90s as it relates to golf and journalism. And so now the interest is happening. Tiger is you know, winning, he wins the 97 masters, you know, transcendency, right? Like hello world. All of that is happening on a regular basis week to week. And then, um, come to the 98 masters preview for sports illustrated. And the, I, the, the, I get called into a meeting, you know, again, I'm 26, 27 years old. I, you know, just the year and a half, two years into being golf photo editor. And I'm asked if we're going to pose tiger woods for the cover sports illustrated, how should we do it? And, um, ideas are being kicked around ultimately the idea that i put forward is tiger with a tiger no one's done it no one has posed tiger with a tiger mm-hmm. and i'm thinking what about a tiger cub like here is this tiger tiger cub essentially uh surrounded by a bunch of cubs you know like you would see you know with johnny carson jay leno i grew up watching sure. those show i always thought it was cool when they'd bring the animals on so I thought, let's, let's, you know, what about that? And, you know, the managing editor, Bill Colson, at the time, I'll never forget, he kind of leaned back and said, ah, he's not going to do that. We're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. You know, what, uh, what are the other ideas? And I was like, but wait a minute. If I can get Tiger to pose with the Tiger Cub, is that cool? You know, you can do it fine, but got to come up with other ideas that are actually going to happen, you know? And it's a long story. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely one of the moments that changed my life and my career. Um, ultimately, I tracked down a a trainer in Florida. We went to Isleworth country club. He brought, you know, four tigers, two massive, like six to 800 pound tigers and two, 200 pound tiger cubs. The tiger cubs were wild and crazy and not trained. And they were not able to be a part of this photo shoot, but he brought them thankfully, you know, and the, and the one, and one t- there was, there was humps and bumps and calamity of airs in together. Um, tigers, uh, were slipping and falling and, you know, crapping on the backdrop. And, you know, it was just, a, it was mayhem, but we stayed the course. And cause we had time before tiger showed up to try to get all this organized. And, um, ultimately, you know, it, it, it the, the, the art director site kept saying like, hey, if you want to pursue this, it's on you. I'm out. Like, I'm, I, don't, I don't think we should pose the, mass, the current Masters champion these animals, this small little ballroom at Isleworth Country Club, given the fact that these tigers just don't look like they're, they're, they, they're safe to be around. I mean, they're wild animals. And, um, and sure enough, the trainer got one of them uh, under control. And Tiger, being the animal lover, is very very well documented, grew up watching a lot of Discovery Channel, walked in the room with uh, Butch Harmon and his uh, agent at the time, Hughes Norton, and Tiger took a beeline right for the tiger. He was, you know, he was way more, like everybody else would have been like, whoa, what the heck, Tiger went right for him. Like, I'll never forget it. Tiger saved my saved the day. He was willing to do it. Was curious. Was you know was courageous. I mean, you know, I I wouldn't have done it. I'm not sure I would have. You know, and ultimately he he posed with the tiger and we got the images and it became the 1998 you know Masters preview cover of you know, and that you know it was just one of those moments. You got to have a couple of those moments where you put your ass on the line and you get it done. And you deliver the goods, and you exceed expectations, and it was, it was, you know, it's 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 a couple of those moments that sort of made my career for sure.
1: And it gave you that golf cred that opened the doors to you that ultimately took you to Golf Digest. Yeah, so that one, you know, so here I am at Sports
0: Illustrated, surrounded by the all you know, back back in the mid '90s, Sports Illustrated mattered, as you know. I mean, that was a mm-hmm. that was a critical source of of of. Of news you know we're talking about a news weekly essentially that concept is dead right there's no you know the idea of a news weekly there's the exceptions I mean um but at, at that time it mattered and um and and so I'm at Sports Illustrated I'm in my you know mid to late 20s I'm surrounded by all these very talented people and the the thing that was most curious to me was I I, I, I. I started falling in love with the concept of telling stories instead of helping illustrate the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I started realizing that the, the power of the written word actually had more of an impact than anything else that I was that I was seeing. So it was in uh, the uh, like let's say 1999 when I applied to Columbia Journalism School. Uh, I was 29 years old. And uh, and I got into that program. So while I was at Sports Illustrated, I was inspired to go back and get you know get get more training, um, become a writer, so to speak. At that time, uh, so midway through that program at Columbia University, while working at Sports Illustrated, I got hired by Golf Digest to be the director of photography, in part because of my relationship with Tiger Woods and his team. Because um, Golf Digest had a relationship with, uh, with Tiger Woods, so I was brought in to kind of help elevate the level of images at Golf Digest and Golf World magazines. So in two thousand six, he hired me to be his um, to be his travel writer. That you know that that degree going back, I tell kids all the time. You know, I didn't go back to Columbia until I was 29. I didn't, get my, I didn't get my my master's degree until I was 31. But it was at that time in my life that I knew that that's, that's what I wanted to do. That's a big advantage on your competition. If you go back and add to your toolbox and get a master's in something uh, at a time in which you really know that's what you want to do. Because I got the most out of that program. That was a big deal for me uh, to be able to get that kind of education and um so that that piece of paper that very expensive piece of paper led me to that opportunity to be able to write and the power of of being able to write to tell a story to put a thought on 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 paper and you know to 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 have a beginning a middle and an end to something i didn't realize it at the time but that that was the that this that's the thing that changed my life more than anything um, and that led to Jerry Tardy being able to take a chance on me. Again, how many times do you need someone to take a chance on you, to see something in you, to say, yes, you get this incredible opportunity? So, you know, all those things, you know, from Al Cohen saying, hey, do you want to play golf that day, to my uncle really te- teaching me the nuances of the game. To my dad, always sort of including me in the trips to things like the US Open, Olympic, and, and Silverado to get on a Palmer's interview, to then going back to getting that internship at Sports. So, Tiger Woods turning pro, getting that opportunity, the, the, the cover shoot, shoot, and a couple of other moments at SI, and then Columbia Journalism Program, and then that master's degree, and then Jerry started getting the travel writing job. All those things, I don't know, you know, what is that? What is that? It's just a collection of cool stuff that gave me the opportunities I have, I have, I've had throughout my life.
1: Was travel of a particular interest to you or were you at the point of, I'll just write about whatever they want me to write about?
0: Well, it was, it was, I'll never forget. It was a lunch at the cafeteria at golf digest. I had my degree in journalism. I kept bugging them to be, to want to write, you know, anything. Mm. So I would help shag interviews for the writers like Tim Rosefort, Jaime Diaz. John Hawkins, like I, I was just, you know, the golf world and golf that I just was loaded with talent in writing and editors at that time. And it was, it was murderers row of, 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 of elite journalism and, and and from, from all the way from top to bottom factors, editors, everything. And in, uh, in 2006 and I'm single, you know, I'm, I'm traveling the world with, you know, you know, covering these events And I started waxing poetic about my greatest education is travel, being able, I'm so lucky to have been able to go pop into these different cities, which is ultimately different cultures, which is, you know, which is, there's no better way of sort of seeing the world around us than getting on a plane and going immersing yourself. I was just sort of talking about this and I didn't know it, but at the time, Golf Digest was sort of resetting and trying to figure out who should we hire as a travel writer to revamp our travel coverage uh in the in the world of golf sort of be the avid amateur Uh, go tell stories about what you see and do i mean i I had no idea and and jerry tardy was at that lunch and that was a light bulb moment for him to say hey why don't we why don't we give matt the chance that he's been asking for and he offered me the 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 next day and he offered me the job as the travel writer he said i heard you yesterday you talked about travel we want a fresh set of eyes on the industry." I want you to come up with a travel package that we could produce for this magazine on a monthly basis. You'll be the man, you know, essentially the executive editor of our travel coverage. Uh, you'll write some of it. You'll assign some of it. You'll edit some of it. You'll, you know, and that's where I came up with the ambush and I was doing these away games and started. So essentially that was the moment in which I, I talked about my love for travel in general and got the job as the travel writer.
1: Do you remember your first project in that role? Well, your first uh, assignment, your first uh, destination? Jerry Tardy was very adamant about telling me, you will
0: not do media trips, do media outings. We are not going to do this coverage of travel by having you go and be a part of these paid for. You know, hey, we're bringing a bunch of journalists in. Everybody sees and does the same thing. And everybody, it was like a sort of a, um, you know, a festival of journalism, so to speak, quote, journalism around a particular destination. But I want you to go do one to see what they're like, to make sure you know that that's what you're not, I don't, I want you to do the opposite (laughs) of what everybody else is doing. So I went to one in Arizona and, and I remember just feeling it wasn't good. It was like it was uh it was not something i I remember you know I'm a younger guy at that time compared to all the other media journalists it was it felt dirty you know honestly it, it just felt like oh wow, I get what Jerry's saying I see why this is not the way we want to do travel and um, so I, I remember that trip to Arizona going, wow that that cha- that helped change the way I would do things and then the next trip i took was to sea island so can you imagine my first trip and travel going to sea island um and and i ambushed a group of guys on that trip to sea island it was off season it was first part of the year of 2007 and horrible weather but these guys had a total blast and I ended up writing about their buddy's trip. That was the ambush number one of 60 that I did, which is tell, essentially telling stories about other guys' buddy's trips. And I've kind of been comparing resorts and destinations to that, that level of experience ever since. I mean, that's the gold standard.
1: So many people know you from your work at Golf Channel. And it seemed that when you went there, they brought you in slowly, but they allowed you to expand your scope, which really expanded the Machinella brand. It allowed you to really show who you are and what you love, and tap into a, an audience for that. Yeah, I mean, can you? Ma- I mean, Molly Solomon
0: hired me. She's the executive producer at the Golf Channel eight years ago. Linear, traditional linear TV still mattered, you know. Uh, and and to be a part of the Morning Drive crew, and that team of people at the time, the first crew included like Annika Sorenstam, Ahmad Rashad. You know, Amad Rashad, you know, Charlie Reimer, Gary Williams, Damon Hack, um, Holly Saunders It was quite the quite the collection of characters, Mm -hmm. to say the least. And um, Lauren Thompson, of course, you know, and um, I looked around going, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here? Like this? I mean, I'm a kid from Santa Rosa. I I, I certainly uh, I, I was thrown into the fire. I had no idea what I was doing on TV. Um, some would argue I still don't, I, I, you know, it's not, it's just, you know, that was a huge opportunity, a huge platform. Um, I learned as I went and, uh, and they gave me amazing opportunities, not only to tell travel stories, um, but then it also allowed me to tell, you know, feature stories. I really started being able to kind of utilize the journalism degree to tell stories that end up you know. I I told the story about the the restoration of Pinehurst number two um, in 2014 going back into going into the to the you know the guts of the decision of of turning that course got that golf course back to the way it's supposed to be and and in doing that it opened up a lot more uh, opportunities to go on and tell stories about Bob Lang's effort to try to get a U.S. open at Aaron Hills or the, the removal of trees at Oakmont or mm-hmm. sort of the story of Chambers Bay and Bob Ladenburg and trying to like these, th- this, uh, th- it, this led to more opportunities to actually, um, move people in different ways. You know, I, I love the idea of making people smarter about the world we live in. And, um, And Golf Channel and Molly Solomon, and some of the producers, the guys like Matt Haggerty, who uh, took a chance on again, people taking a chance on you to say, Yes, I think you can do this, and then trying to make them look smart for their decision. That was, I always told Molly or Matt Haggerty, I want to make sure you look smart uh, for giving me this opportunity. You know, I I didn't want to let them down. If If I exceeded their expectations, then I was probably going to be successful.
1: Covering sports is telling about the game story, maybe the backstory of the competitors. So there are always those stories there, and they were always kind of told. But what you're talking about is there's stories of the venue. There's stories of design. There's all these stories. I know I started the Golf Spotlight in 2005 because I was living in Orlando, and I was seeing guys playing golf in cotton shirts in the middle of the summer and thinking, if these people only knew that there's new performance fabrics that can make their day more enjoyable and getting into the stories of clubs and technology and innovation that way. There's so many different areas where there are stories to be told. And that's kind of the beauty of golf is it really opens up for all that.
0: You know, I think when you start the game, you don't realize all of that. You know, there's an evolution of, of our life as a golfer. And it, and a lot of people take different uh, pathways to, you know, to understanding the, you know, again, I go back to the nuances, right? When you first start, you want to try to like, you want to be able to hit the golf ball and then you want to be able to shoot good scores, be respectable. And you start realizing, wait a minute, there's, so, there's more to this game. There's m- Why do I like this course versus that course? Why do I why like this hole versus that hole? Why does this shot, uh, bring out all of these emotions or feelings in me versus that shot, which, you know, it, you know, it's, it's forgettable. Um, and then you start traveling to play golf and you realize, Oh my God, look at how golf is a part of this culture versus that culture. Uh, then you go to the home of golf and you realize, Oh my God, this has been going on for centuries. You know. <laughs> then you start piecing this all together and you know, you, you do reading, get some perspective, and then you get older as a person, you start realizing your own mortality. And then there's the spirituality, the camaraderie, you, 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 you grow apart from friends, but then you get back together with these friends to play golf for four days. And does the, where does golf, where does the actual shooting a good score fall in at that time? You know, like the actual shooting a good score falls down the totem pole or the list of Priorities, and what moves up the list of priorities is being able to be with good friends or family, and having those walks along the spiritual coastlines of, you know, Oregon or California or Ireland or Scotland, or you know, you start interacting. It becomes it becomes more of a spirituality. becomes You know, honestly, golf is basically my religion. You know, because I get reflective. You know. Uh, on a golf course, I, I, you know, those feelings you have with the family and the friends, those, that's the kind of stuff. So that evolved, you evolve. And then, so my storytelling has evolved through the game, uh, through my evolution and connection to the game. Uh, you know, I, I always say that if you sucked out of my life, everything that has had something to do with the game of golf, I wouldn't have much, you know, I, I wouldn't, because the people I've met, the things I've done, the places I've been, the memories I've made—all of that is pretty tied to the game of golf. And can you say that about any other sport? Hard, I, it, hard to do.
1: No, it really—I mean, say there, there, there's a certain aspect that is to football, having you know played it, where it's, but it's not something you can do for a lifetime. It's, it's something that lingers with you for a lifetime, but you don't get to do it for a lifetime the way you can with golf. And that's what makes it so unique.
0: Golf is, is, is life and life is golf. I mean, if, if it's in you, if it, if it's, if it's part of you, like it is me and it is you and so many of our friends and, and family members, if it's
1: part of you, then it's something you're going to do for life. And what a mm-hmm. cool thing to have. You started uh, the fire pit podcast this year. How did that change your ability to share stories, learn stories, you know, kind of the give and take that you get instead of just reporting on a story, you actually get to really go back and forth with people?
0: Well, for me, you know, people
1: said, are you, you going to do a
0: podcast? What, what Are you going to do a podcast? What, what if you did a podcast, what would be the podcast? And so, you know, I always thought, you know, my, my focus was um, a, from a, a different different means of telling stories. I, I, I wasn't much of a podcast listener. I, you know, I was really focused on either writing or, you know, as you said, like reporting and, you know, doing the traditional linear sort of, you know, presentation of a story, uh, from, from a broadcasting standpoint, it's kind of all I knew. And then when COVID hit, um, and I was sitting around and I had this, I had a non-compete for this year with golf channels. So I've had to be very careful about what I do and how I do it, uh, to not, you know, not, you know, jeopardize the, the, the framework of a non-compete, um, uh, cause they bought me out of my contract this last year as they're kind of restructuring and refiguring, you know, figuring out uh, the future of, of that, of that channel. And, uh, but I, but, but if I did this podcast without really doing advertising podcast, it was going to be okay. So I did it really, as a, as a way of, you know, killing time. I mean, you know, when you're sitting around in your house, you know, you're quarantined and my producer, Alex and Peggy and I, and, and, and uh, Rex Lynn, who these guys I've I've worked with for the last seven and a half years, we said, well, through a podcast, we can keep telling stories. You know, it's a cost effective way of telling stories. So I always would say, Oh, you're going to do a podcast. I said, I've done a bunch of podcasts. It's called an interview. You know what you, what you're doing right now, you're interviewing me. You could, you could take this information and do it and cut it up and, and put it out in a million ways. You right. could do it as a social clip. You could do it as a short digital clip. You could do it as, Hey, listen to our entire conversation. You know, that's a podcast. Well, I, I mean, you know, I've done a million podcasts Then I've recorded interviews of me trying to get to the heart of a matter with, with another subject. So I was like, okay, let me sit. But then I was like, how can I do it a little differently? So then I, I, I thought, well, uh, you know, about two or three into it, I thought, if I add more voices to tell one story, it gets more interesting. If I add sound effects, if I add sort of the background, if I can, I, I, you know, taking my background in radio, uh, which goes back to, you know, pre-college even, and then in my yeah. college days, uh, and sort of creating an audio experience, and then the reporting, you know, background of Columbia Journalism School, and being around, immersed in places like Sports Illustrated, Golf Digest, and Golf World, and then my experience at Golf Channel, and my contacts, and my my you know knowledge of the game. How can I make all of those into something that's somewhat unique? So, the idea is we take one story and we tell it through multiple voices, chop it up, and create one narrative that gets you that beginning, middle, and an end about one particular subject matter so and then add in all the audio uh, accoutrements you know around it and and that and i've 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 fallen in love with this form of storytelling i um and and the idea that these are the kind of stories you'd listen to around a fire pit or tell around a fire pit brought us to the name the fire pit my daughter ended up uh creating the logo and it, you know it's it was it was this fun uh, interesting thing to do during COVID, and now it's going to it's going to change what I do going forward and how I do it going forward. So, creating multiple verticals of a new production, uh, a, 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 a new production company, the podcast is going to be a key aspect of all of that, uh, and uh, and I love doing it.
1: Well, and you team me up right there. What's next for you? Yeah, that, that's that's it. So
0: as like we're we're here, we are in December. My non-compete ends at the end of this month. Uh, at the new year, I'll be la- officially launching a new production company, uh, surrounding myself with the talented people that I've worked with over the last seven and eight years, and um, I've created a, a, a partnership, a distribution partnership with Golf Digest and Discovery. So in a way, I come, I'm coming back home to mm-hmm. the Golf Digest family, group of people who I really uh, appreciate and respect, uh, and with. The way that they do uh, what they do, uh, most notably again Jerry Tardy, uh, guys like Max Adler, Sam Wyman, Alex Meyer, you know uh, Michael Malley. These guys, all these guys, are all familiar to me. I, 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 I you know, I always say I basically grew up. Um, working at Golf Digest, 11 years there learning, you know, uh, learning how to report on the game of golf. So to go back there and their partnership with Discovery Media is attractive to me because, you know, it's even more global than it was before and all the various uh, platforms that they have to offer. So I will bring back The Ambush. So I'm going to bring back The Ambush as a kind of a digital series stories about people's buddies trips i'll continue to do travel the way i've i've always done it uh but even more raw and organic and authentic than ever before uh because i have the freedom to do that now uh the pot the fire pit podcast will be a big part of what i do i'm in search i'm in search of good stories and then how they get distributed is probably going to be a little bit of everything so social digital medium form podcast long form feature long form I'll I'll still talk about the news. I'm going to have merchandise. Like, you know, these garage band production companies are not unlike what we see from Barstool, no laying up. This is, this is happening now. People just realize that everybody has a platform, uh, you know, opportunity. Look at yourself. You, you, you have an interest, you have a passion, you have a platform. Uh, And so then you, you come up with a, a concept and you form a voice, a perspective on a variety of things or maybe just one thing, uh, maybe, you know, golf, for example. Well, I'm, you know, and for several years now, I've, I've been forming what I would call a garage band production company, surrounding myself with talented people who want to help me uh, go tell stories. So for me, I'm just looking for great stories. Uh, I feel like I have a good toolbox of how to tell those stories. And uh, I have a good, great team around me who want to help me tell these stories. Uh, I have a platform and an opportunity to impact, uh, you know, not just the game in which I love, which happens to be a lifestyle, but, you know, the world we live in uh, to help educate people, to inform people, to inspire people, and in some cases, entertain people. Uh, that is my priority list, inform, inspire entertain in that order and that's what we hope to do uh, I'm looking for great stories and then I have a wide variety of ways in which I can distribute those
1: we always wrap up our talks here on the range by going into the wayback machine and looking back over time so for me I want to know is there one special trip that you've taken whether for work whether pleasure whether it's a group where it just it's like the ideal it's, the gold standard. There's nothing that's going to match it in your mind, and that's okay. You know that you've already achieved this perfect golf trip.
0: Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm. I can. I can. I can tell you that I. I'm so lucky, and I don't take it for granted. And I truly appreciate the fact that I have so many to choose from. You know that that's mm-hmm. that's an amazing thing for me to be able to tell you, and I mean it you know, wholeheartedly, like, I can't believe I have so many trips to choose from. But the one that, the one that, like, you have to do that I did that sort of changed my life is I went to Scotland. Uh, Alan Shipnick and I were young, 20-somethings, uh, working, you know, working at Sports Illustrated at the time. And we rocked up to the old course. We, we got there super early. We queued up in the in the line to try to get out. We both got out as singles in different groups. So we played. You know, we you know we stood there from like five in the morning, and we got out and we had that experience where you just go, you get a Scottish caddy, you can barely hear what you know, understand what he's saying. He's, you know, he reeks of alcohol. He probably had last drink forty five minutes before you know you're teeing off. Uh, there's all those blind shots, you know, you leave the town of St. Andrews and then you make the turn, you come back to the town. The town gets smaller as you look back and then gets bigger as you make your way towards the 18th green. Um, I had plenty of sort of uh, examples of like great shots and horrific shots. Caddy loving me and the caddy, not talking to me. You have to have that experience. You have, it's a rite of passage if you truly are soulful and spiritual about the game, to go to St Andrews and to immerse yourself in what really is the home of golf. Um, there's, I love Pioneers. I love Bandon, I love Ireland, Waterville are spiritual to me. Uh, Australia, Melbourne, uh, Bogle, Tasmania, you know, New Zealand, uh, Morocco, um, Spain. I've been Valderrama, like all those are amazing. But the box you have to check, I didn't even mention Pebble Beach, the box you have to check is Old Course, St. Andrews. And from that point forward, you'll be a different golfer.
1: Well, say, we only got really one travel question in. That's how much we could talk with you for hours and hours just about <laughs> those things. But that'll wait for another time. Matt, thanks for joining us and sharing your stories and your perspective. I i, I hope people can really appreciate the depth of what we're talking about, because it's not just about golf. It's not just about travel. It's it's about what it can really do and affect your life.
0: Like you, I'm, I'm lucky to have found the game of golf. Uh, like you and, if, you know, like golfers like us, we love to then share that energy and passion that we have for the game with others. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, I think to myself how much the game has given me And I want others to feel those same things to have those same experiences, to see the same things I've seen, or, you know, and now I have my son who's three and a half and and our daughter who's 16 and who I want to also like, you know, I find myself feeling like that. That's what's special about this game is what it gives us for some reason. We can't wait to give it back, you know, and to make sure other people experience that. And, um, and I, I'm, and I think the game of golf is in a very good place right now as we go into 2021. I think um, for a lot of reasons, COVID is horrific. Obviously, God, I mean, uh, just just catastrophic. But the, what one th- cool thing that has emerged from it, one silver lining, if there are any, is that the game of golf has been uh, discovered by a lot of people who might not, uh, you know, have ever discovered as an opportunity to get out. in in open space, in fresh air, to have a walk and a talk uh in 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 what feels like, you know, a community surrounding these municipal, the Renaissance of municipals, people like John Ashworth are leading the charge. And um I love having these conversations. I love sharing stories about the game of golf. But most importantly, I love trying to make sure that other people have it as well. So I appreciate this opportunity, Ralph.
1: Well thanks again. That was Machinella joining us, and yeah, maybe he had some good timing, some breaks, but it all started with hard work and a drive to succeed, and he still shows that in every project he does, even if it's a simply weekly money game at the local course. That was fun, and there's definitely a lot more to talk about in a future episode. Before we go, I want to reflect a bit on this conversation. I had a chance to play this week with a group that I'd never met before on a fun but tricky course I'd never played before. I was excited and I absolutely stunk. I cannot tell you when the last time was that I hit so many bad shots. It was just a 9-hole game and I finished 3 of them and I was in the pocket for the rest. Needless to say, I was embarrassed. But you know what, I took my lumps, I enjoyed an amazing afternoon outside on the course and I appreciated the company of guys who I hope to join again. A lot of people are new to the game and that's fantastic. Whether the new player is you, a friend, a family member, or someone you've just met, try to remember we're on the course for fun. Scoring well is a blast, but if that isn't happening, there's still a lot of enjoyment to be had, and you can always keep things moving. Let the score go, enjoy the walk, and appreciate the gifts that golf can deliver. They are countless, and if you play them just right, they may be timeless. If you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight. For the latest on the range, follow us on Instagram at The Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. We welcome your comments. All of those places, anywhere, will always reply. Now, you've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on iTunes or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. That'll do it for this episode of The Range, so let's hit the course and enjoy the walk. There is so much to enjoy in golf, and we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range.
0: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.